0: We pray, dear Jesus, thank you for gathering us together this morning around your word. We ask you to bless us and strengthen us as we dig into your word more deeply. Send your Holy Spirit to us to build the faith that is in our hearts and to equip us to live for you in these final days of the world. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Jesus, the blind man was there begging at the temple gates every single day people saw this blind man there begging at the temple gates every single day he was such a routine part of the day that it was almost like he's part of a landscape um, i don't know if i don't know if you have somebody like this in your life that you always drive off the same highway exit it's always the same guy he's always got the same cardboard sign says the exact same thing anything helps God bless. This is what it was like, actually for many people, at Jesus' time. So, if you had, back at Jesus' time, if you had a disability, almost any sort of physical disability, begging from strangers was going to be your number one profession. In fact, begging from strangers might be your only profession. Because, for example, Braille had not been invented yet. Uh, Buildings were not handicap accessible yet. Nearly every job required tough physical labor. So basically the only way for a disabled person to survive was to depend on the generosity of the healthy and the wealthy. So, at Jesus' time, if you walk through a city like Jerusalem, you go up to the temple, there would be all kinds of beggars around the temple gates asking people for money, asking people for help. Uh, If you went to a rich man's house, remember Jesus' parable of the rich man? and poor Lazarus, it was the same thing. There would be people posted up outside the house waiting for the rich man to come out and hoping that in generosity, he might toss them a few coins. There just weren't any, you know, working options for people with disabilities in Jesus' time. So, you might think, in a context like this, where there's so few options, that there would be a lot of compassion for people who had physical difficulties, but that wasn't necessarily the case. Instead, the common thought seems to have been that if a person was blind or lame or suffering from some kind of disease, that it must have been because they did something wrong. Like, God wouldn't let this happen to just anybody. Apparently, even Jesus' disciples thought this. Uh, Because in our reading, they walk with Jesus past a man who's been blind for his entire life, and they ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Whose fault is this? And it's a ridiculous question, like what sin could this man possibly have committed while he was in the womb that would have made him so different from anyone else that God decides to curse him by making him be born blind? And as far as his parents' sins go, the Bible is very clear that each person is responsible to God for their own sin. So this man's blindness was not because of any specific sin that somebody had done, it was simply the result of living in a sin-broken world. You live in a sin-broken world, you're going to have troubles and problems in your life, one way or another. And this is the trouble and problem that had happened immediately in this man's life. And yet, even in a sin-filled world, uh, God doesn't let anything happen without a purpose. God has a purpose for everything. And so Jesus explained to his disciples, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And then Jesus did this amazing miracle. It's sort of gross, but it's also sort of amazing. I mean, if I was the blind man, I think I would have taken it at the end of the day. Jesus spit in the mud, and he took that muddy spit, and he rubbed it on the man's eyes, and he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. See, I went and did it, and then after washing, he could see. He could see perfectly. He could see perfectly for the rest of his life. It was amazing. So even in a sin-filled world, right, God doesn't let anything happen without a purpose. In this case, uh, Jesus used the man's blindness to do this incredible miracle that proved to everyone Jesus really was the Son of God. It also proved to the blind man that Jesus really was the Son of God. If you read through the rest of John chapter 9, the man in this story is actually quite fascinating. He's, He's clearly got a very strong personality and he's going back and forth with the priests and the leaders, and he's pointing out, clearly Jesus is the Son of God. Nobody else can do this kind of a thing. And it's clear by the end of the chapter, God has used this incident to not only cure his eyes, but to give him faith in his Savior, to put him onto the path towards heaven. But not only all of those things, there is one more blessing in this situation, that Jesus used it as a teachable moment to make a powerful point for his disciples And to make the same powerful point to us today. And so here is the point. Here is Jesus' quotable quote in this section of the text. He says, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me, because night is coming when no one can work. We got to work while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. What does that mean? Well, we... uh, I thought, the, I thought it would be pretty clear in the kids' message, I think we got it by the end, that you know, especially at this time of year, after we set the clocks back for daylight savings, it gets dark quickly. And if you want to work outside, if you want to get chores done outside, you need to be proactive and get to work before you run out of time. In the same way, Jesus says, in these last days of the world, with Judgment Day on the horizon, at some point, possibly very soon, If we want to get anything done in this life, if we want to have any kind of a positive impact on the people around us, we need to be proactive and get to work before we run out of time. Night is coming when no one's going to be able to work. And that is a concept that, in fact, I think just about everybody in our society would agree with. That night is coming when no one can work. Uh, It's really interesting to see how culture has changed in the past few generations, in lots of ways. Uh, but particularly, when it comes to the things that people worry about. Just a generation or two ago, your average person seemed to have a lot of anxiety about what was going to happen to them when they died. right? Not the dying itself, but what comes after. Like, what am I going to say when I stand before God <clears throat> someday? And maybe a generation or two ago, Christian evangelists, We're all over this. I don't know if you've ever been at a parade or a festival and someone comes up to you and they're like, hey, if you died right now and you stood before God and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? And why is that such a common approach or why was that such a common approach? It's because this is already a question that people were asking in their own minds. Like, what am I going to say when I die? And when I obviously am going to stand before God. People had a lot of worry and anxiety about the afterlife. Now, increasingly, especially in the younger generations that I spend most of my time talking to here in this part of Atlanta, I don't think there's quite the same level of anxiety about death. I mean, nobody's thrilled about dying, right? But in a mostly secular world and a mostly like like naturalistic world where people just aren't thinking about God and heaven all that much. Um, I think the assumption is kind of like nothing significant is going to really happen to me after I die. I'm just going to die, and that's going to be it. This earthly life is really what I've got. And so, all the stress and anxiety about the afterlife has to go somewhere. It comes into this life. And the people that I talk to now, especially in younger generations, have a massive amount of anxiety about what they're doing in this life. And the question is, Am I truly making the most out of my life? It's not going to last forever. If it's the only thing I've got, am I truly making the most of it? So you just think about that, like, this is the only academic career that I'm ever going to have. Am I really making the most of it? This is the only college social scene that I'm ever going to get to be a part of. Like, am I making the most of it? This is the only senior year homecoming dance. This is the only marriage. This is the only young, healthy body. This is the only chance to travel the world. This is the only decade in my 20s. This is the only decade of my 30s that I'm ever going to have. Am I truly making the most of it? I mean, it's a lot of pressure. And the pressure is not necessarily eased when we open up the Bible and we look at spiritual reality. We're reminded of, of spiritual reality. And we learn about the way that God wants human beings to live their lives. God has made us to have a strong relationship with Him so that that relationship can then build strong relationships with one another. And yet, as we talked about in the sermon a couple weeks ago, we all have a sinful nature which is selfish and, and divisive. And so our sin, like pushes us away from God and it pushes us away from other people And it pushes us into things that are clearly foolish and unproductive, again and again and again. And it pushes us into sin and wickedness. And it pushes us away from good things that we should be doing. And the result of it all is, even as we start to look into God's Word, if we sat down and honestly had to answer this question, am I truly making the most of my life? All of our answer would have to be, not necessarily not all the time. And so deep down, I wonder if the reason that we're so afraid of wasting our life is that we know we're already doing it. That makes sense? Like the clock is ticking on the seconds of our life. We're not going to get any one of those seconds back. So now that we're feeling extremely anxious about our time, our riveted time, like what are we supposed to do about this? What's the solution? You can buy a bunch of self-help books. You can download all these productivity apps and try to squeeze the most out of every day. and, And it just makes you feel more and more worried. And it just makes you feel more and more stressed. What is the solution for my flawed use of the limited time I've been given? The only solution is Jesus. Which, you know, sounds easy to say. But how is Jesus actually a solution for all the failed ways that I've spent time in my life? Well, it's because of all the perfect ways that he spent time in his life, right? I mean, from childhood on, Jesus never missed an opportunity to respect his parents, to love his friends, to have diligence and hard work and kindness and respect. Jesus did all of the good things in life. He avoided all the bad things in life. Then, when Jesus grew up and started his ministry, he managed his time with absolute perfection, Three years of, of preaching and teaching and doing miracles and all, all very carefully and all very wise as he gathered large groups of followers and then led them towards Jerusalem where he was going for the Passover festival and where he was planning to die on the cross for the sins of the world. And if you want to see a day that demonstrates Jesus' perfect time management, his perfect use of his whole life, it's the day that he died on the cross. Because you think about this. This is intentional. Jesus had successfully avoided all the attacks of religious leaders that wanted to kill him sooner, and Jesus had successfully avoided the support of some of his followers who wanted to crown him king by force. Instead, Jesus managed the days of his life so perfectly that finally in Jerusalem, on the Passover, the day of the festival itself, while every Jewish person is eating their Passover lamb and you know looking forward to the Savior that God is going to send, on that exact day, the Lamb of God is outside the city, dying on the cross for the sins of the world. On the very day that God had chosen from all eternity, Jesus made it to exactly where he was supposed to be. So the day he died on the cross is like the ultimate proof of how Jesus had managed his life to absolute perfection. And of course, the three days later, when he rose from the dead, just like he said he would. So why does all of this matter to you, right? Somebody who lived 2,000 years ago and had a perfectly managed life, why does this matter for you? Well, it matters for you because it counts for you, right? That through your faith in Jesus, his life in God's sight has become your life. This is just the basic truth of the whole Bible that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross Jesus was punished for our sins and our failures and our horrible time management so that we can be rewarded for his good deeds and his successes and for his perfect time management. And maybe you know this already. Maybe this is very familiar to you. But just take a minute this morning and actually apply this to yourself. Actually think this about yourself. The hours of your life that you have spent on sinful activities have been covered. And the bad decisions that you made with your friends have been covered. And maybe, maybe the whole years of your life that you spent running away from God have been covered. And any time in your life that you wish you could have back, any situation in your life that you wish you could go back and have a do-over, it's been covered. And it has been covered by the perfect righteousness of a perfect Savior. So in Jesus, God looks at you, and he sees a perfect student, a perfect citizen, a perfect daughter, a perfect son, a perfect mom, perfect dad, a perfect friend. In Jesus, God looks at you, and he sees a person who has never sinned. And thus, a person who deserves eternal life in heaven. Because of Jesus, eternal life in heaven is what you're going to get. No matter how big of a mess you might have made out of some of your hours here on earth, God promises to grant you an eternity of hours in heaven. So in your case, because of Jesus, the time that you've wasted on things is time that you're going to get back. In fact, you're going to get more and more time. In heaven, you're never going to run out of time. And living in a perfect, glorified state with all of your sin removed in heaven, you're going to use all of your time with perfect excellence, loving and connecting with God, loving and connecting with other people. Your heavenly time will be perfectly spent, and your heavenly time will never run out. Because Jesus worked well in his day, we get to go to a place where it's never going to be night. Right, heaven is going to be ours forever. We aren't in heaven quite yet, though. We're in kind of an awkward, uncomfortable time. So the, the point of this whole sermon series. We are in the time in between where Jesus came and, and provided salvation, but then we haven't quite received it all in heaven yet. So right now, during this time in between, while we're living on earth waiting to go to heaven, we have one more incredible blessing from Jesus, and that blessing is this. When Jesus calls us into his family, he makes every single day of our earthly life meaningful. Like, do you want a life that is purposeful and productive? Do you want a life that truly impacts the people around you? Do you want a life that actually makes a difference? Well, then do your life with Jesus. And here's the reason why life with Jesus is so meaningful. It's because Jesus will, he can and he will, use your life to bring other people onto the road of heaven. Which lasts forever. So, just kind of think about this and think about your whole life. And despite all of the inefficiency and failures and wasted time that might have been a part of your life here on earth, if God used your life to connect one more person to the grace of Jesus and put them on that road to heaven, where they are going to have a literal eternity of years in heaven, I mean, your life, your 30, 50, 70 years of life has been pretty productive. If God uses your life to put one more person into heaven for eternity. And so this opportunity to impact people for eternity, it just changes the way we think about our whole life. It doesn't matter if you're young and healthy and in the prime of your career. It doesn't matter if you're old and sick and nearly out of time in this world. Every single moment that God allows you to have in this life is a moment that could be used to nudge somebody else closer to eternal life through faith in Jesus. And so it's that opportunity to share eternity with others that makes even our messy, imperfect lives truly meaningful, truly transcendent. And so we hear Jesus' command one more time. He says, work while it is day. And we don't have to hear that with anxiety and pressure, but rather with excitement and eagerness. Like, out of all the days in the history of the world, this is your day. Like, this is your time. This is your chance for God to make a difference, an eternal difference through your life while you're still here. And then one day, by God's grace, we are going to go to heaven. And heaven is going to be great. It's going to be a place where there's no sin, there's no sadness, there's no mourning or crying or pain. We're going to be with God, we're going to be with our loved ones. We've been talking this whole series just about how awesome heaven is going to be and last week in Bible study, somebody mentioned you know, heaven is going to be a place where there's no more divisions. Like, imagine a planet where every single person is, is on the same page. That's what heaven is going to be like. So heaven is going to be incredible, but there will be one thing missing. In heaven, there will be no more opportunities to show love to people who are far from God. Because in heaven, everybody's close to God. We're showing love to each other, but we're all close to God. Now is your time where you are really surrounded in a a big urban area. You are surrounded by people who may be living very far from God. And thus, people who are stressed and anxious and worried, maybe about eternity, maybe about the minutes of their life that they see ticking by, and how can they make sure that they're making the most of it. Now is the time when you're surrounded by people who don't have Jesus and you have the opportunity to share the eternal hope of Jesus with them. Jesus has done everything that needs to happen for you to get to heaven. But he knows that you want to, and he knows that you need to have a meaningful life here on earth. And so he gives you that. He gives us that through this opportunity every day to let our light shine to other people and impact them eternally. So may God bless you as... You work while it is day, and as I work while it is day, for as many days as God gives any one of us before he brings us to our heavenly home. God grant that to all of us, for Jesus' sake. Amen.
1: And now the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard and
0: keep your hearts and your minds through faith in your Savior Jesus. Amen.